Welcome to a podcast of Wyoming Chronicle, where we tell the stories of Wyoming in a weekly program of interviews with newsmakers, artists, innovative thinkers, and unique Wyoming personalities. To learn more, visit us at wyomingpbs.org. Wyoming author James Chandler will tell you that his rise to the top of Amazon's legal thriller bestseller list is a surprise. His books, Misjudged and One and Done, draw from his personal histories as an Army veteran, a lawyer, and an athlete, and give us attorney Sam Johnstone with twists and turns with almost every page. James Chandler from Gillette, next on Wyoming Chronicle. This program was funded in part by a grant from Newman's Own Foundation, working to nourish the common good by donating all profits from Newman's Own food and beverage products to charitable organizations that seek to make the world a better place. More information is available at newmansownfoundation.org. Funding for this program is made possible in part by the Wyoming Humanities Council, helping Wyoming take a closer look at life through the humanities, thinkwhy.org, and by the members of the Wyoming PBS Foundation. Thank you for your support. And it's my pleasure to be joined by author James Chandler here in Gillette on this Wyoming Chron Chronicle. James, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me here and welcome to Gillette. Oh, it's, it's our pleasure. We're here in the beautiful Gillette Library. It's very nice that they've been wonderful hosts with us. But um, you are a writer and you are also a judge here in Campbell County. And I guess right out of the gate, we should say that um, James Chandler is a pen name. First of all, how did that pen name come about? And then we'll continue on here. Well, when uh, I began the process of working with my publisher when the when the work had been accepted uh, we decided jointly that I needed to write under a pen name due to the nature of my day job and so he tasked me with coming up a, with a with a number of names and so I submitted a list of names um, most of them James was my father-in-law uh, name and was my fishing buddy and my beer drinking buddy and everybody needs one of each and I was fortunate enough to have all three in one guy so that was easy and then the last name, I submitted a, a number of last name uh, options, and the one he picked was uh, Chandler, which just happened to be the last name of my favorite football player growing up, Bob Chandler, who was a receiver for the Buffalo Bills and I think the Oakland Raiders. I actually remember who he was yeah. as we were talking about off camera. Before we get into um, your career now, your second career as a writer, which has just had an unbelievably successful start, um, let's talk about your history. Um, where did you grow up? Uh, I was a military brat and uh, my father retired in the area of uh, Boise, Nampa, Idaho, to the 20 miles to the west of uh, Boise when I was in junior high. So I went to junior high and uh, high school there. And then I went to college in Eastern Oregon, Eastern Oregon State College at the time, university now. Typical high school life, an athlete, having some fun doing the things that teenagers do? Uh, yeah, and yeah. Um, probably more than I should have. <laughs> and what sports did you play? I and played uh, football, basketball, and baseball at Napa High School. And then you went on to play baseball in college? I did, I played baseball at uh, Eastern Oregon University for four years. And after that, um, what was next? 
Well, it quickly became apparent I had no future in, in baseball. Scouts <laughs> made that clear. Um, it was 1982, and if you remember, uh, tough employment times at the time, 13, 14% unemployment. Uh, I couldn't find a job. I'd recently met my wife, fell in love, and was looking, um, kind of didn't know, really know what I was going to do. Nobody was hiring, but the United States Army was hiring. It was right after Ronald Reagan fired the air traffic controllers. They all got out, mm -hmm. and uh, they were looking for people to come into the military and do that. So I enlisted as an air traffic controller. Uh, was selected for officer candidate school, went down to Fort Benning and, and did that and we, my wife and I loved the Army and spent 20 years, 13 moves doing that. You um, <clears throat> then must have made a decision after the Army that you wanted to become an attorney and I'll say Paul Phillips and yes. we'll, we'll visit with you as Paul Phillips for the rest of the interview. Um, Paul, is, is that the case? Yeah, I got to the Pentagon, the five-sided wind tunnel. <laughs> and uh, kind of made a determination for family reasons that 20 was going to be enough and started thinking, you know, what, you know, what might I do? I didn't really want to do the defense contractor thing, so I decided I would try, try law school at night. So I went to George Mason University School of Law starting in 2000, uh, four nights a week, year-round for four years, and graduated in 2004. What brought you to the West? Well, we wanted to get as far west as we could, and uh, I didn't do very well in law school. I was trying to raise a family. I worked full-time on the Secretary of Defense's staff and the Chief of Staff of the Army's staff. I traveled a lot, and I had a young family, and I had told my wife, you know, this, this law school thing, kind of a, maybe a hobby, maybe I'll make a living at it someday, but I didn't miss any dance recitals. I didn't miss any soccer games. and. So I applied all over the western U.S. and I got two interviews. One was in Dickinson, North Dakota. There's a big law firm that's been there I think since 1870 and they didn't hire me. The only other interview I got was with uh, John Perry and, and uh, Dan Price who were the judges in the 6th Judicial District at the time. They hired me to clerk. And you were a practicing attorney here for a while but you had wanted um, at some point to become a judge. Why was that? Well, I love being in the courtroom and it, I, my, our practice at my firm was primarily civil litigation. We did a lot of wills, trusts and estates. Um, we did a lot of transactions, a lot of real estate and you know it was, it was it's good work and it's important work but uh, I like to be in the courtroom and I wasn't getting the sort of courtroom time that, uh, that I felt like I, I, I would enjoy. And, um, you know, no, the opportunity to help people as a judge is, is there every day, all day long. So kind of uh, the desire to get in the courtroom more and the desire to help the community and pay back some of what Gillette's done for my family and I and threw my hat in the ring and to my everlasting surprise, Governor Meade appointed me. So you, you wrote and the primary character in this book is this attorney, Sam Johnstone. Yes. What's his genesis? His uh, genesis is, uh, he's sort of a, an amalgam of, of people that I've known, of guys that I've known, um, who, uh, uh, you know, real heroes and uh, lawyers that I've known. And uh, it was just one of those things where I thought through, you know, what could I write about that I could write about realistically based on the knowledge that I have um, and that might be of interest to somebody has a military background, right? troubled, yeah. um, perhaps PTSD, 
-hmm. had to see some of his close buddies die mm -hmm. in an IED explosion, was injured himself, mm -hmm. wasn't a great student, came to the West. So there's some parallel with your career here. There's some parallel, but I'm not Sam. Sure. And Gillette isn't Custer. Uh-huh. Um, there's some of me probably in every every character in the, in, in the books, but uh, <clears throat> inspired by a couple of guys that I know um, and, and some of the stories that they've told me of, of, of their experiences. How does one get published and how was, was that a struggle for you? Did you almost give up? Did it happen oh, immediately? Yeah. It, was, it, was a, it was a big struggle. Um, I mean, it, you know, it took me well, it took me 60 years to write the book, but mechanically it took probably the better part of five years to write it. And then I probably spent 18 months, maybe, trying to find a publisher. Um, I had given up. In fact, I started out trying to obtain an agent, and uh, I don't know how many rejections I got. It had to be six or seven dozen, maybe. And then I started working on applying directly to publishers and I spent another six to eight months and probably got at least that many rejections. And I had given up. Literally. I had stopped. I, because it's, it's tough stuff because, you know, every agent, every uh, publisher wants a submission packet done sort of their way. Some want a synopsis and an outline. Some want two chapters. Everybody wants a cover letter. You've got to tailor them all individually so that you, you know, uh, are, are presenting to them as if they're the only one that you're selling to. It is, it's tough stuff and it takes a lot of time and you know just the constant drumbeat of rejection after a while gets to you. So I had stopped and I went to, um, in September of 2019, went to the Judicial Conference in Jackson and the speaker there, the keynote speaker was a judge named Martin Clark out of Charlottesville, Virginia and he was up talking about uh, publishing books and he goes in every group I talk to there's a guy or a gal with a book and he said, if you're that guy or you're that gal, come see me after this. So I did. I walked up and he said, are you the guy? And I said, I'm the guy. And so we talked for a little bit. He gave me his agent's name, who summarily rejected me. <laughs> but more importantly, you know, he said, hey, don't give up on this. Keep your stuff out there, you know, uh, if you want to do this, you know. So I went back, came back to Gillette, and I told my wife, I said, I'm going to give it three more months. I'll give it till the beginning of 2020. If I can't find somebody to publish me by then, then you know what? I've written a novel, bucket list accomplished, we're good. And um, on December 12th, 2019, I got, uh, I got an inquiry. Yeah, yeah. I, I cut it close. I got an inquiry <coughs> from my publisher, Severn River Publishing, LLC. And um, they said, we want to talk to you about a contract. And on January 2nd, 2020, I signed, I signed on the dotted line to write four novels for them. So your fir first book is Misjudged. Right. <clears throat> it has staying power and has been at the top of Amazon's legal thriller bestseller list for a long time. Shocking to you? Did you know you wrote a great novel? No. I felt like I wrote a good novel. I remember finishing it and when I, um, you know, I signed in January and they gave me about four months to sort of revise it. I had written it as a standalone novel. So they gave me a couple of months to kind of revise it to make it the lead for a series of four. That was the contract I signed. So when I finished up in April or May or whenever it was, I felt like it was a good novel. I felt like, hey, you know what, I, 
I, I don't have anything to be ashamed of here. This is as good as what's out there and better than, you know, better than some. But I had absolutely no idea, um, you know, what was going to happen. They went then from, you know, you turn in the novel and then they do cover design and then it goes through copy editing and then proofreading and, and, and advanced readers and I kept getting positive feedback you know from from my publisher and their people um, but I'll tell you how it was in October so six months ago now my wife and I were driving somewhere and I had been kind of looking around online at the legal thrillers and I realized there was a hundred top 100 published and there were like 25 authors in that top 100 because most of them have a few books out there. And I can remember to this day, I remember the exact moment I told my wife, I said, if I could ever get a book in the top 100, I'd be in the big leagues. Well, how does top five sound? Yeah, how does two in top five, you know, six months later, it's, it's unreal. And these are authors like John Grisham. Yeah. Your readers compare you to him. You told me off camera you don't read reviews. No. But who are your mentors in, as legal thriller authors? Do you have one? I don't know that I have a mentor. Well, so when I decided to write this book, which now is maybe seven years ago, I, I made a determination I was not going to look at another legal thriller because I didn't, didn't one, want to be intimidated, and two, I didn't want to be accused of poaching somebody else's idea. So the last time I was reading legal thrillers regularly, I love Scott Turow. Um, David uh, Baldacci, John Grisham, of course, Robin James, Lisa Scottolini. I mean, I sort of read them all, um, so I don't know that I would have one. Uh, Scott Pratt, but uh, um, I, you know, I remember Presumed Innocence struck me when I read it. My favorite, one of my very favorite authors of all time, is um, Robert Traver. John D. Volker wrote as Robert Traver. Uh, Anatomy of a Murder, I think, is a fabulous book. Miss Judge is awesome. Yeah, it's a page turner. You can't put it down once you start. At least I felt that way, and I think many others have too. <clears throat> but I recognize a lot of Wyoming right. in the book. I mean, certainly you say that it's set in Custer, Wyoming, but mm -hmm. it's small town, and judges know attorneys, mm -hmm. and people know people mm -hmm. at the cafe, and, and mm -hmm. it feels like you wrote about Wyoming. What's in the back of your mind when you're setting the scene for these books? Um, I sort of try to imagine different different places in Wyoming, different towns in Wyoming, and you know, I almost didn't set it in Wyoming because of the success of C.J. Box and Craig Johnson. When it came time to write, when, when I had actually signed the contract to write, I, I, I did consider talking with my publisher about setting it in South Dakota or setting it in Montana because I thought maybe this Wyoming thing is being overdone. And so apparently it hasn't. But I, you know, I love Wyoming like only a guy who's been everywhere else can. I've been in 46 states and 39 countries, and I, I'm here because I want to be here. So uh, there's no one place, there's no one thing. Um, I try to sort of imagine it all. Who are your readers? Do you know? Not really. I, I, I really don't. Um, I, uh, I know that I get emails. I've gotten emails from Bangkok. I've gotten emails from London. I've gotten emails from Ontario, Canada. Um, I just got a, a wonderful email from an attorney in uh, Kansas City uh, last week, so I, I'm not real sure. You say you don't read reader reviews on Amazon, but there are also book critics out there. Do you have a chance to interact with them? to see what they have said about your books? 
I have never looked, no. And and I'll be honest, I peek at the sort of the star rating and mm -hmm. make sure that it's... That hard it's, to miss that. Yeah, it's hard to miss that. <laughs> Everybody's got it, got it there, right? Whether it's Goodreads or Amazon. So I look at that, but I don't delve into the individual, individual opinions or anything like that. Um, I don't know if anybody's ever taken the time to critique it, uh, you know, a, a book critic per se. So when you were writing Misjudged, and now your current book that's out, One and Done, mm -hmm. do these books change course from what you originally thought? Do you outline the whole story and then mm -hmm. write it? Or do you, let's use the baseball metaphor, throw yourself a curveball every now and then and change what you had initially mm -hmm. planned? Um, the Misjudged is pretty much as I had planned. I went about writing, I had never written a novel before. I didn't know how to write a novel. So I spent a lot of time in this library, in fact, uh, pulling books off the shelves that I had liked and enjoyed and studied how is this book structured. And you know, I bought online things and looked at them, but really what helped me was to just look at, you know, how does this writer structure a story? Um, so misjudged kind of from beginning to end, with the exception of in the beginning, I had to change things a little bit to make it sort of the lead for a right, series. Right. That, that book is pretty much what was outlined. And, and uh, we have a creative consultant, Severn River, that helps me sort of walk, walk through the story and does this make sense and how will that turn out later. Misjudged is pretty much the product of, of, of my outline. One and done, uh, the ending is totally different. And uh, for better or worse, when I finished the first draft of One and Done, I didn't really like it. So I said, well, what would happen if I did this? And then I liked it. So then I had to go back through the book and sort of leave sure. a trail of, of, of breadcrumbs to get to, to get to where it ends up. So you have written about um, this attorney, and you have planned to write four books um, about him at least. I would, I would assume maybe maybe more will come. Are there other genres that you've thought about now, Paul, that you, you know what, now that I'm kind of in this game, I might want to write a nonfiction book or a different type of thriller. Anything that's come to your mind? Yeah, I've, um, I'm a fanatical fly fisherman and I've caught fish on my fly rod in 32 states. Hope to get Hawaii in June. Nice. Um, <coughs> I, you know, I, I self-published a book years ago on fly fishing. It was really just a gift for kind my... Kind of a how-to book? Yeah, well, more of a just essays okay. uh, in my name called Small Streams and Daydreams. And, and uh, just a series of little essays, which really were emails I had sent to my father-in-law over the years. And when he passed away, I did his eulogy and everybody mm -hmm. said, you should write a book. So I went to all my friends and I combed back to them and they sent me emails that I'd written over the years and I kind of packaged them all together and called it a book and it was a Christmas gift for my daughters to really get to know my father-in-law, their grandfather, and me maybe a little bit better. And you know, it's done well over the years and I think that could serve as a pretty big, big pretty good basis maybe for a nonfiction book on fly fishing and, and then, uh, you know, I'm a big uh, Army of the West fan so maybe but boy, that's a lot of writing, so. <laughs> Give us a, an idea. I mean, you have a full-time job. Right. And you have a full-time job. Mm -hmm. I mean, you've got two things going on here. How do you write? Um, when do you find time do, to, to get it into your day? Well, I, um, I get up at five if I sleep that long, and then I'm in my office by six. I carry a laptop everywhere I go, and I try to write from six to seven, 7.30. I'm doing something writing related. It may be 
It may be publicity related. It may be answering emails. It might be you know writing, writing, uh, and and then I then I start my day job at 7:30, and then I write a little more at lunch maybe if I'm in the mood, and then uh, I don't write in the evening very well, and then weekends and holidays. It's a weekend and holiday killer. Mm -hmm. I can imagine that it yeah. is. So what's your pace? What do you do? You want to do a book a year, a book every year and a half? Right now, uh, my contract calls for a book every nine months. Can you meet that? I have, have met that so far. That sounds like quite a challenge. It is a challenge, and, and I'm sort of in the uh, nascent stages of, of, of beginning to look at are we going to extend this thing? Where are we going to go with Sam? Are we going to go with Sam? How many books can I write? So uh, we're taking a look at it. How would you describe to me you feel after you've spent an hour writing? Is it invigorating for you? Is it taxing? How do you feel when you write? I think it depends on the portion of the book that I'm working on. Some portions are easier than others. Some must be tough. Yeah. It, it, uh, I can feel, if I'm doing, for example, a, an exchange between an attorney and a witness in a trial, I can finish that scene and be invigorated. If I'm doing something that's more, oh, I don't know, prosaic, I guess you'd say, more open writing, a fishing scene or a, or a scene between two people, I, 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 may be, I may be calmed. It might be therapeutic. Mm -hmm. You write a lot about um, the legal world. Obviously, mm -hmm. it's a legal thriller um, with sometimes great respect for the, the judicial system. Is that on purpose in your writing? No. I, I'm, I, I, don't do, I don't know that I do anything on purpose. I'm trying to read it, write a book that, that I would like to read. And there's like, also a drunk judge, though. There's a drunk judge, <laughs> right, which definitely is not me. But I have great respect for the law. I revere the law, and I revere our system of law. And if that comes through, that's good. But I'm not trying to sell a point of view on anything that I do. I'm just simply trying to write books that, that people can sit down and read and enjoy. And, and so, um, you know, for me, a good book, it, it's going to be entertaining. It, it's, 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 you know, I, I try to write with a, with a minimum of, you know, I, I don't want any politics. I don't want, you know, nobody cares what my politics are. So I'm going to try to write books that don't have any politics in them. Uh, they're not going to have any graphic violence in them. They're not going to have any explicit sex in them. And they're going to have a minimum of bad language. And I'm working on that. There'll be less in the later books than there was in the first. Um, not a lot in the first either, oh, yeah. um, um, by the way. So misjudged, one and done, false evidence. Right. Coming out in February of 2022. Do you have a title for the fourth book yet? I don't. And um, I, I haven't even thought of it, to be honest with you. How, do you come about, um, how did you come about the titles? Well, misjudged, I had, you know, the wonderful thing about Wyoming and the Wyoming judiciary and the Wyoming uh, criminal, uh, the Wyoming legal system really is, it, it's so small that we all do know each other. So it's easy to develop a plot sort of around judges and attorneys and courthouses because that really is the way it is, you know. And it's the wonderful thing about the, about the system here. So misjudged, I guess, kind of sort of wrote itself a little bit. And, um, you know, one and done had to do with the, the, uh, Devante Blair, one of the, the main characters in the whole idea of one and done in a, in a basketball sense. False evidence is a concept where an attorney understands in advance that his client 
is going to or intends to lie to the tribunal, to the judge or to the jury. And uh, so that's, uh, that's sort of the central theme of the third book. Paul, we've asked you to read a little bit uh, from one of your two books. Um, what do you have for us here? Well, I was going to read just a little bit of uh, Misjudged, a uh, couple paragraphs that I think are sort of the essence of Sam. Go ahead. Sam sat quietly, fly rod across his lap, staring at nothing, hearing only the roar of the water against rock and feeling the morning sun on his shoulders and the high mountain, early summer breeze on his face. He twisted the lid off a pewter flask and took a long pull from it, then wiped his mouth and returned the flask to his vest pocket. Upstream, the small lake formed by snow runoff was beginning to reflect the rays of the sun just peeking over the jagged crests of the highest peaks in this part of Oregon. Somewhere an eagle shrieked. He gave a desultory look at the selection of flies in his box. At last, he selected a tiny attractor. Having made up his mind, he leaned forward and began the process of tying the tiny fly to the tippet. The fly would work. At this elevation, the small trout had only a few months to gorge themselves before their world was once again covered with several feet of snow and ice. If he could muster the energy and the interest to get going, he would catch fish. He edged closer to the bank of the tiny creek, false cast it a few times and flipped the fly upstream near a large boulder behind which were several inches of still water and if Sam was right of fish. He played the brook trout as quickly as possible, removed it from the hook, then carefully released it in the shallows at his feet. I'm in the books, he whispered. Sitting back down, he took another long pull from the flask. With his left hand, he reached across his body and drew the pistol from the shoulder holster. He purchased the lightweight, compact, double-action, 38 caliber revolver a couple of weeks prior. The guy at the gun counter had tried to talk him out of it, explaining the little revolver held only five rounds. When Sam remarked, I only need one, the poor man put his head down and finished the required paperwork without another word. Sam looked at the revolver in the morning sun and took a deep breath. One round and it would all be over. No more pain, no more regret. Over the sound of the rushing crick, he heard once more the thump of rocket-propelled grenades in the staccato of automatic weapons from more than a decade ago. The soft touch of the high mountain breeze yielded to the force from the concussion of the mortar rounds, and the light round, light from the morning sun, gave way to intermittent flashes caused by the bursts. He closed his eyes and heard the screams of his men, wounded and dying and fighting to the end. So I think that's sort of the essence of Sam. When I read that, I, I almost couldn't believe what I was reading. Um, and it's not too much of a spoiler alert that he did not commit suicide. He did not. Thank goodness. Well, Paul Phillips, James Chandler, your books are great. Um, uh, they are thrilling, or they at least were thrilling to me. And, Thank you so much for joining us on Wyman Chronicle. Well, thank you for having me. This program was funded in part by a grant from Newman's Own Foundation, working to nourish the common good by donating all profits from Newman's own food and beverage products to charitable organizations that seek to make the world a better place. More information is available at newmansownfoundation.org. Funding for this program is made possible in part by the Wyoming Humanities Council, helping Wyoming take a closer look at life through the humanities, thinkwhy.org 
and by the members of the Wyoming PBS Foundation. Thank you for your support.